Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine. This is where we reveal the embedded codes and challenge the operating systems driving our society. Why? Because someone has to. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, my friend and the author of the new book, 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week, Tiffany Schlein. When you have that time to actually think a thought without it being interrupted by 20 other things or streams or tings or bings, your thoughts are so much more expansive too. Tiffany's watched the net turn from an extension of the human nervous system to a form of social and cognitive restraint, but has found a way to maintain coherence in the face of this digital assault. It's time to intervene on behalf of thinking, feeling humans. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. Team Human is supported entirely by our listeners. You, too, can support this show by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support. Get free stuff and special access and join team members like Alec Perez, Carol Gunby, Audrey Penvin, David Jones, and Carrie Smith. You can also find our shows and written versions of my monologues on Medium. My name is Arya Sirius, a.k.a. Ken Goffman, and I'm on Team Human. I'm L.A. Kaufman, and I'm on Team Human. My name is David Peskovitz, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Gail Bradbrook. I'm from Extinction Rebellion, and I'm also on Team Human. I just got back from a week of talks and arts festivals in Holland, and uh, it really got me thinking. I mean, this was great stuff. It reminded me of the really early days of infinite possibility. The questions I got from people after my talks were really telling and have kind of encouraged me to do some soul searching. As someone who celebrated the potential for digital technology to 
unleash entirely new dimensions of collective human potential, I can't help but feel a little culpability for our current predicament. After my talks these days, and the last two that I gave over there, people have been asking me if I feel sorry for having written books like Siberia and Playing the Future, which attempted to frame this emerging digital society as a very positive renaissance. As someone who back in 1992 told everybody to come on in, the water is fine, do I accept any blame for today's combined plagues of disinformation, economic equality, automation, and weaponized memetics? Maybe. I'm not afraid to go there. <laughs> really, maybe we just weren't ready. Steve Jobs as much as told us this, that, that we were making a pact with the devil. He knew what he was doing when he named his company Apple. He was giving people access to the forbidden fruit, the tree of knowledge. Thanks to computers and soon after the net, regular people everywhere would have access to everyone and everything. And we bit into that apple. Why not? It looked like newfound power for the masses, a voice for the counterculture, an adventure for explorers, and creative fun for makers. Computers were the tools that would unleash humanity. But maybe humanity simply wasn't developed enough to handle these abilities, these abilities potentiated by digital technology. And distributed so widely and rapidly and all at once. At least not the sector of humanity that ended up being responsible for developing this stuff. Many of us knew that digital connectivity could end up overwhelming a society accustomed to privacy and a limited number of social contexts and news edited by experts from above. We really did understand that recording everything one said or did into a permanent database would pose moral, legal, and reputational challenges, just to name a few. I think we even suspected that just the effort to engineer a collective global brain like the internet could challenge our primitive understandings of identity and individuality. We understood that we were moving into a world where thinking would no longer be a personal activity, but a collective one. Many of us really did know that the opportunity was bigger than we could handle, that it may have even represented a leap forward in human evolution. And that's why we turn to the shamans for advice. It's why the pages of early internet culture magazines and websites were as likely to feature an interview with ethnobotanist Terence McKenna or hypertext visionary Ted Nelson as with the engineers like uh, Doug Engelbart or, or internet inventor Vince Cerf. But the Fortune 500 and the venture capitalists, they really saw 
a different sort of destabilization ahead. They saw a growing population of new media users who would soon be out of their control. The traditional tools and platforms they used for engineering compliance or directing consumer behavior, they were being replaced by ones that appeared to promote novel ideas, unprofitable social fun, and worst of all, human unpredictability. So they turned to Wired Magazine and business consultants to figure out how to make the digital revolution about money. They invested billions, maybe trillions, I guess billions, I don't want to exaggerate here, billions certainly, in surveillance and behavioral control experiments from Google to Facebook to Apple, really, in hope that the internet would amplify capitalism instead of this Gaia stuff. And the seemingly godlike abilities offered by the net they were productized. The World Wide Web of personal home pages gave way to Facebook's consumer profiles. The intelligent agents through which we users were supposed to gather information became the algorithms that monitored and modified our behavior. The internet went from town hall to shopping mall. And as a result, instead of seizing the interactive potentials of digital technology, most people engage with this stuff as if we were still in our previous roles of consumers of media. But we aren't. We're each at the helm of a newsroom, a library, a media archive, a TV studio, a wire service, a propaganda platform, and a social network that has more capabilities than most whole governments had 20 years ago. No matter our current perceptions of our place in the order of things, we're not still in the land of passive television consumption and limited knowledge, taking actions that somehow recede into the past and then just fade away. No, no matter how stupid and powerless we've been led to think of ourselves, we have at our fingertips, in our pockets even, access to the near totality of human knowledge and activity. And it's not too late to rise to this occasion. You know, omniscience requires good filtering. We may have gotten access to every piece of real and fake information ever produced, but without the ability to discriminate between them. We got the intimacy of universal connectivity, but without the social skills to navigate it. We got perfect memory, but without the corresponding necessary compassion for one another's past missteps and failures. And this is why the internet has yielded such mixed results and could reasonably be blamed for the increasing probability of fascism or civil war in America and widespread confusion and hostility wherever these technologies grow unchecked. Were those of us who extolled the virtues of digital technology wrong? Did we doom civilization by promoting something we simply weren't ready for? I'm willing to admit some responsibility, I guess, for underestimating capitalism's ability to redirect the net toward these anti-human, anti-social agendas, and maybe overestimating our society's moral, social, and mental health. But looking back, I'm thinking the answer wouldn't have been to talk less about the power and potential of the net, but more. These technologies would have risen with or without those of us who saw in them the chance to connect humanity and unleash our species' true potentials. 
the net could have as easily stalled humanity's rush towards suicide and extinction as it has accelerated it. Had we only made a better case for the less commercial, more open source reality so many of us envisioned, whichever the case may be, it's a bit too late now to pretend it didn't happen. We bit the apple, we're banned from the garden, and we're starting to see things as they really are. It's time to stop acting like children, accept our roles as adults, and use all this power to make things right. Before we get to our main conversation, I wanted to share with you a brief clip of an interview I did last year with the legendary satirist Paul Krasner, who passed away this summer. Paul is best known for his 1960s magazine, The Realist, which pretty much invented fake news, but for reasons really different than the terms used today. The magazine's motto was, Irreverence is our only sacred cow. He also published that famous Wallywood drawing called Disneyland Memorial Orgy, which pictured all the Disney characters in various uh, positions. Krasner was part of actions from uh, Abby Hoffman's levitation of the Pentagon to coining the term yippee to tripping on acid with Groucho Marx in Beverly Hills. I recorded this interview with him a few months before his death. Hopefully this little section will give you a sense of who he was. And I met I met Kesey the first time in '63 um, or '65. It was where the uh, Berkeley campus had the the first uh, an outdoor on the Berkeley campus, and and, and it was like the one of the first uh, teach-ins that was going on. Jerry Rubin uh, was uh, in Berkeley and called me and asked me if I would come out there and uh, do an MC. And I said sure, and he and he said, hey, "Could you get Norman Mailer?" And I and I call, I gave him Norman Mailer's uh, phone number, and he called him, and he, and he and he came out there, and and I at that time I had published an article in in and this was a serious article. I never I, I did both satire and investigative journalism. Uh, but I didn't ma- label them because I didn't want to uh, prevent the readers from discerning for themselves whether something was journalism or satire. Because uh, I didn't use the word then, but uh, satire was fake news. Right. It was you were doing the original fake news. But then, you know, and I, I've got the realist collection and you look back at your account of um, I'm allowed to say this, I guess, your your account of, of Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, fornicating the exit wound on JFK's skull while they're on Air Force One bringing the body back. And there's no hint, other than to try to not believe that this happened, there's no hint in the writing of it that this is fake news, that you're making this up. That's right, Douglas. But what it was, <laughs> it, was uh, it was done in, in a seduction form. Um, so I started uh, with things that were true in it. This was the parts left out of the Kennedy book uh, by William Manchester, uh, who did a book about the assassination of JFK. And um, it started off with Lyndon Johnson saying that Joseph 
Kennedy. That was um, John F. His father, who was um, had he was uh, selling, I think it was liquor. But LBJ said that that Joseph Kennedy was uh, uh, ambassador. I think it was to England, but he was uh, in favor of Nazis, and this was true. And so that was something true, and it was shocking. But it was, a, a, and then they, there were things that that journalists knew, but it was taboo uh, that he was uh, um, knew that he was having an affair with Marilyn Monroe. But that was a secret. That was a taboo. Then it's not like now. And so it was built up like a seduction. And it get it, first it got the, the, the true items, and then. The items that journalists knew, and it was the seduction was getting them, the readers to, to accept it until uh, I got the description you just did beautifully about um, when LBJ was on the plane going from Dallas to um, a hospital in, I think it was Maryland. In, in it, it was explained in the article, the Warren Commission realized that there was a, a hole in the front of his throat. And um, even though it looked like it came from uh, where Lee Harvey Oswald was up in the, in the building, uh, but, the, but the, the, the CIA guys, they were at the grassy knoll and that that's where the bullets came from. And I had to, I had Jackie Kennedy describing this to William Manchester, and she said that she saw Lyndon Johnson um, bending over JFK's corpse, and and Lyndon Johnson was leaning over the um, the body, you know, putting his thing in his thing. That's the way the kids felt about it. That it was that LBJ was inserting his penis in the throat wound, uh, and. Um, and Jackie uh, described it in, to William Manchester. And this shocked people. It was just stunned because they were, um, for a one moment, because of the seduction, uh, they felt um, that they believed it, if only for a moment. Even uh, Daniel Ellsberg, who did the... Um, the Pentagon Papers, yeah. Yeah, he... Um, he, he said he even uh, believed it for a moment. And I said, really? He said, well, I think I just wanted it to be. So, so that probably was, I still now, decades later, people uh, still mention it because it was, uh, the, uh, uh, there was nothing like it. It, it was the, the biggest taboo that, that was uh, passed around. People stole, stole copies from the library. Um, it was it was really something, and people. Yeah, but as an image, the thing is, it's something that once you hear it, you can't unhear it. You can't unsee it. You know, your mind creates the image, but then it's there. And uh, as far as activism is concerned, I mean, what we know now about fake news and how it works on the mind, and people see a fake news story, and even if later they know that it's not true, some part of them still does believe it because you know there's no fake news in nature. You know, it's on an evolutionary level, it still rings true. So uh, w there was a there was a, a, a method to the madness. It wasn't just, oh, this will be fun to make people think this for a second. There was also a, 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 a sort of an activist intention 
in putting people's minds through this, wasn't there? Oh, exactly. That was one of my personal heroes and recently departed friends, Paul Krasner. He was 87 years old. And now another great friend, founder of the Webby Awards, the filmmaker behind The Tribe and Connected, and the author of the new book, 24-6, Tiffany Schlain. So you were starting the web, the Webbies, at this alt-culture celebration of the creative and social cultural impact of this new medium. I was writing books like Siberia yeah, and Media great. Virus, which oh, are my very and Wired had just started. I mean, yeah, it was, it was Wired. A, I mean, no, I was they more, were ninety three. They were ninety three, right? ninety four. They came up around then, but they to me were still the other side. Mm. We were more on the Mondo. We were the more edgy, yeah, weird, Mondo edgy, fun stuff. But and I always traced the turn as sort of like the Wired magazine, big business, blah blah. And I was going to ask sort of. Where did things go wrong? Where did we make the wrong turn? But your 9-11 is a really interesting one. I remember that the, uh, the dot-com bust was 2000. And I remember it so well because we were having this massive event in San Francisco at the Masonic Auditorium. And I had this big production. And Alan Cumming was the MC and all uh. these edgy presenters and all this stuff. And then, and then that's the, so then the, the dot-com bust happened. And it was almost like the chicken that the head cut off and people were there, but they're like, what is happening? And the whole bottom fell out of all the hype, which was important right. because it was stupid companies getting crazy funding, right? Right. All the dot com, pics.com right. and that Joe. Was, that com. was never yeah. what we were about. We no. were about this is a, this new way for to connect and creativity and expression, all this stuff. So it kind of weeded out that. Then I feel like the real crash happened, which was 9-11. And everyone, including myself, I did some real soul searching. What am I doing? What's important to me? And I, I wanted to go back to making documentaries combined with the power of the web right. for change. But then that was also when those business models that I think have really ruined a lot of what the web's about started. Because, right, that was that was the advertising advertisement that was like Facebook, Google, when it started sticking you to a spot. Right. Isn't right. that around that? Well, stickiness came with the earlier web, 96, 97. They were talking about eyeball hours and attention economy. Hate that but, word, eyeballs. But it, the 9-11 moment kind of did two things. One, we were arguing for the openness of, of the tech web. Decentralization. And decentralization and everyone has the power in their hands and yeah. Rodney King and camcorders yeah, and yeah, new yeah. media. And then we saw, well, the real power of decentralized technology is they're going to crash airplanes into the World Trade Center. So all that openness of the late 90s became like, well, maybe we maxed on openness. We better <laughs> do some closeness. Yeah, And that it was... became easier to justify surveillance economy kinds of plans. That's exactly now, right. Maybe we do want to spy on people. Maybe we do want to know what's going on. And then so many things got turned for this other way. Like laws were passed that allowed the surveillance and the privacy issues just went out the window. No, that that is interesting because I was... I think we've talked about this before. What was that wrong turn that I think we all are feeling yeah. the repercussions of now? But 9-11, right after the dot-com crash, it was those two events happened within a year of each other, really did a big shift. It's right. Interesting to so think there's about. no money and it's really dangerous. And it almost like people left. And then slowly. Oh, except, uh, well, that was a, no, but that was a crazy period. <laughs> yeah. I felt like the the press, which had inflated so much of the web, and putting like these guys on the cover of the, and then they all felt. Then the crash happened, 
And everyone was just out for blood. And if you still were saying, wait, no, the web, they were saying the web was a fad. And we're like, right. the web wasn't a fad. And it was like your fault. What yeah, are you promoting what are you, this thing? And, I and lost all like, my no, money. No, no, it's still important. <laughs> but it, just the values of what were surrounding it got completely skewed and exacerbated by the wrong things with the pets.com. Right. Exactly. And because pets.com <laughs> went bankrupt doesn't mean the internet it's bad. is bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. It really is but that interesting. But that was a weird period where I felt like, you know, not only had I felt kind of like the poster child before of just being a rare woman in tech, but then I was still saying, it's not going away, people, and let's just rethink how we're using it. What are the business right. models? How are we getting? And I was actually, I was never really focused on the business model. I was much more into it as a medium. Yeah. And, and use cases is sort of what you yeah. were into. It's like, how are... From the, the, I don't want to call it the consumer, the user side. What are, what are these people getting to do? That's yeah, what your segments that's exactly are always right. about, too. That's exactly right. And so, your movies, too. How yeah. is this going to unleash the power of women, the power of bottom-up, the power of community? That's right. Yeah, that's always been the most interesting part. So, I mean, now to have it be over 22 years later and, you know, 10 years ago, I also had one, if you if we talk about 9-11 as being a massive, you know, everyone doing soul searching, 10 years ago, I also did some massive soul searching because I lost my father and my husband and so my daughter was born within days of each other. And you know what I was doing? I was feeling so distracted by that device, which was just addicting everyone to that. Was 2007, the, the iPhone came out. And by 2009, I, like everyone, was just, I couldn't. I was never present. I was distracted all the time. I'm like, wait a second. And then here my father was one of my best friends is dying. This new life growing inside of me. I was like, what am I doing? And that's when my family and I started um, Canon. We started unplugging from all screens one day a week. And that has been so profound. So it's like the first part of my career was, oh, my God, the web's going to change everything. Got to check this out. And now I'm like, not so much. <laughs> Not 24-7. Right. That's not healthy for anybody. Right. I mean, and the business plans, the things, you know, when the internet took the turn that we're talking about is when it moved from... Decentralized to centralized. Yeah. And it moved from, you know, people paying for their use to people paying with their data and all the companies. Right. I mean, you And know, all the repercussions. Right. About. And Shoshana Zuboff wrote about this. Oh, I've written about this. Yeah. You know, that the, the business model shifted to surveillance and addiction. So you get the Keptology department at Stanford trying to keep people addicted to oh, tech. Thousands of behavioral psycho, you know, scientists, like that is their job. Right. So it, it's not just the tech again. It's the way that the tech's it's being, being used, used on us. That's right. And so it became more of an imperative. I mean, I, I had a, a similar moment for me. It was really in the uh, around 2000 where partly because I was starting to earn money, if people hired me, I was working all the time. It wasn't just being on tech, but just working. And as a freelancer, when are you allowed not to work? So totally cynically, I started to tell people, well, um, it's, it's, from, it's Shabbat. <laughs> it's a great alibi. That's what Harry Kelman says Shabbat is the best alibi. Because people are like, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> right, because religion still has some weight. You know, if you're not talking to Richard Dawkins right, and the crazy yeah, atheists, yeah. you know, you can still say, no, I do this. Or even if you don't believe in God, it's my custom. You know, they, they back off. But then it was like, it was, I did it cynically. And then I had the thought, well, maybe they were onto something. You know, this whole one-seventh rule that the it's Jews had. Fair, no, I was thinking about it during the climate marches. I have a section in the book that I talk about that if everyone practiced Shabbat, we could solve the climate crisis. One-seventh of our time not consuming? I know. It would it would crash the economy is the beautiful thing because, you know, <laughs> they want you to consume more. If we, if we consumed and produced one-seventh less, 
That would that would do it right there in one swoop. If I, well, here's the thing. It's interesting you say that because my biggest my biggest problem with when I tell people about the tech Shabbat because people can't believe we've done it for ten years, is that people immediately think I'm religious, and I am so I have so many issues with that that I'm always then like there's a qualifier right after it. We right. do tech Shabbats, but I'm not religious, and that's actually the most exciting thing for me about this book is I'm trying to almost take the brilliant practice of our people because we are both mm-hmm. Jews here. Thousands of years old for a reason that's been adopted by every other religion and culture and take it away from the patriarchal structure and all the religiosity that I have issues with and say, actually, this practice on its own can change your life. We've never needed it more, can help the environment, can help your sanity, can bring balance back. And it's I want it to be like yoga and meditation where you can have great respect for those traditions and not feel like I'm a Hindu or Buddhist, but I do yoga and meditation that you can take a Shabbat, a tech Shabbat. And it's going to bring some balance back to our incredibly imbalanced world right, right now. The gifts of the Jews. You can take the gifts without going to synagogue. But as I look, I mean, you know, my whole oh, take yeah. on Judaism and nothing sacred and all that. As I see it, Judaism wasn't even intended to be a right. religion. And it became kind of like. It became one, you know, to be like the others and to not look weird. But Judaism was a behavioral code. It was. It's it a was practice in ethics. But that. Way to get off religion, not to get I onto know, it. But I think my associations and I think so many people. I mean, it's even in been America interesting. And rabbis and robes and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I do. I usually will say that I, I'm, <laughs> I've spoken to a lot of rabbis lately describing the book. I'm not religious. Great respect for who, whatever, wherever you it. fall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but what speaks to me is more the practices and ethics and uh, wrestling, the wrestling with the ideas. The, the right. thing you said, I'm not comfortable with anything. I mean, that's the part I love about <laughs> yeah. being Jewish. So it's like, how do we strip away? I mean, especially as a feminist, I mean, so many religions, I'm just like, ah, I can't, there's no room for a powerful woman in that story because there's no powerful women in that story. So I think that it's been the guiding light for me is to remove it. And I say the blessings on Shabbat and I swear I even have problems with that. Well, because you look at what the words. What am I saying? <laughs> So I'm like, you know, we're sitting at a table. We invite all these people over on Shabbat always. And I usually say to people, you don't know the words. Most Jews don't either, but just hum along. And and I say them and you should see me at temple. I am like translating in my head every other word for the words. I mean, I've heard someone told me that I would love a humanistic temple. They have them. Well, not in the Bay Area. Surprisingly. How weird is that? Right. But I think that I am really excited about taking this idea and liberating it to, and I, 90% of Jews I know don't do a full day of Shabbat. Maybe they do a Friday night meal, but I actually think the power in doing this is the full day. That was the wisdom of the Jews. It was the full day of of rest. Sunset to sunset. In our modern times, that means no screens. There's no other way around it. I sleep, I I have problems sleeping, especially lately. I, I sleep like 10 hours on Shabbat. On my sexual, and I don't sleep the other days. I have a lot of problems. And what is that? That's just like no screens around me. Right. And you can adjust the color and the this and get reminders. Oh, and but just get it mindfulness away. Mindfulness apps and blah, blah, blah. Take that shit away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is funny how so many people look, rather than saying the simple thing of look, just, I want to use up. the word, just abstain for a day. <laughs> just abstain. One day a week. Right. Is instead, okay, can I get another app that will <laughs> that will send a tone to my brain and I keep know. it calm? It's like we're going to somehow solve the problem of algorithms with more algorithms. I know. It's so simple. That's what I – that's what's so beautiful about it. And when I really think this other thing that happens that I, I continually marvel at, which is time slows down. 
it slows down on my texture box. Which means your life gets longer. Yes. And, you know, well, first (laughs) of all. There have been studies. So we got a grant to do. We're inviting everyone to try TextureBots for four weeks in a row to try to build a habit. And we got a grant from the Temple. Is that what it takes? Four weeks? I mean, four times to make a habit? Well, we are. It actually takes a little bit longer than 12 weeks officially, they say, to build a habit. But we're going to hold people's hands for four weeks because that's what I believe. If you do something four weeks, I can we can get you started on a habit. So the John Templeton Foundation, which has funded Character Day, we we got a grant to do a research grant on. There's so much research right now saying how bad tech is to be addicted and on screens, but there's hard any that are like, what if you took a regular break? So we're going to mm. actually follow Qualitate. We're working with UPenn to do research uh, around it. And what I'm looking at are all these incredible research reports on the Seventh-day Adventists. There's multiple studies. They take a full day of the Sabbath. That's what they call it. They live 10 years longer than all Americans. Multiple and studies. And they got to stand there with pamphlets and stuff. You'd think that would shorten <laughs> your life. But, well, I mean, yeah. okay, so you you feel, what's the one day you want to feel longer is your day off. Every time Ken and I, we, we, we like look at each other, like, wait, is it only like nine o'clock in the morning? We've done like four things. We've journaled, we've read an article, we've like gone in the garden. We've, and it just slows, you know, and Einstein, his idea of relativity, which, you know, my dad wrote a lot about, yeah. and he was always looking for metaphors to describe Einstein's work. Um, you know, what Einstein was saying about the theory of relativity is that time is relative to your state of motion. It's relative to your percept. It's perception too. So with all of these tools, we are going so fast all the time. We're just sped up because we can do so much more quicker, quicker, quicker. Well, when you turn it off, it is like you have this magical remote that completely slows down life on the best day, on all, the day you want things to linger, to look at your child's laugh, to look at your garden, to cook, to nap, to read on an article, to think about an idea. That day feels like four and one. Right. And it's a rhythmic thing, too. And that's, you know, when you get the ancients and their practices and, you know, whether it's rabbis or Sanskrit yoga people, they probably knew that, you know, break up the moon cycle into four weeks. Each week gets... Give it a beginning and an ending because things have gotten so blurry now. Yeah, and you get the new moon to the half moon, half moon to the full moon. Yes. I mean, and Rosh Chodesh is the the big one. There are these really simple things like day and night. You know, which most of us forget with our screens. And when you do a, a, a I don't even want to call it Tech Shabbat because I don't want to get people, again, thinking it's too religious. Well, but you, I'm trying, well, it's interesting. I know that word, but I actually feel, I talked to you about yeah. this, that Shabbat feels more playful. The Sabbath feels very religious to me. But Shabbat somehow sounds like, I don't know, yeah. like, <laughs> Shabbat, like, it just sounds a little bit less uh, religious to me and more like I can engage with it. And I want it's a fun word to say. I mean, yeah. word, Shabbat. It sounds it's a little bit more ethnic, a little bit less religious. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. So let's let's try to get people right, to say it. Okay. Cool. But the Shabbat, I mean, you're you're taking people out of fake time, fake digital time, which is always Thank on you. That is a great way to put it. Into this day night. Once a week, so seven days have gone by. So even if you don't count, your body's counted seven yes. daylights. Yes. And then you're, you're, I mean, this is my question for you, is after 10 years of doing it or less, does your body start to recognize? Crave. Can you, can you almost Crave smell it. it? I mean, by Thursday, yeah. I am usually so maxed out and I'm looking at Friday and I'm thinking, don't worry, Tiffany, you're going to make it to Friday. And I run to this night. I am like the whole family and everyone wants to know, do your kids like it? They love it. What we say, what I propose to say, what do you wish you had more time to do? Everyone's got a list. I got a list. You got a list. Your kids yeah. have a list. What do you wish we did more of? Everyone writes that list and make the day filled with that. It becomes their favorite day of the week. That's our tech Shabbat. So um, 
I run towards it on Friday night. We all do. And we have a big meal. We make the same thing every week. It's like clockwork. We make, so it's, there's not a lot of thinking of who's buying what. Cause we like, no, we have the hollow. We got the chicken. We got, and then with people over super social all around a table, we invite our neighbors, family and friends, super fun. And then, and all the screens are off. And then Saturday is very inward. I think of that as like reflecting and like hanging and being with my, my kids and being present and my husband and being with myself. I just don't even, you know, we do so much skim reading through the week. Like if there's ever an interesting article and I know I want to think deeply about it, I, I print it for Saturday. If Ken and I want to talk about something deeper, let's save it for Saturday. Print it's like, it for Saturday. Yeah, You're not going to read it on the freaking screen. Right. But I, I save those things for things I want to linger on. I don't want to skim. Right. And so I not only, I, I just love it so much. And then Saturday night, here's the best part. It's got this dual effect because you forget how miraculous technology is, right? On Saturday night, you get psyched about technology again. You're like, oof, oh my gosh, how great. I can email Douglas. I miss right. him and I want to talk to him. You just suddenly get this dual effect of both. You can't wait to get off it. You have the longest luxurious day and then you can't wait to go back on. And actually, lately I've been extending it a bit longer, but I feel my most creative on Sunday morning. So does Ken. Mm. We like, we are ready. I get all my best ideas on Sunday. And you know, in Israel, they only take a one day weekend. Like I don't, I'm not proposing people do that, but. Will they go back to work on Sunday? Mm -hmm, that's a work day because they're so rested. And Ken, as a graduate student would say, I just, I felt so deeply rested and as a uh, country, they all, Sunday's their Monday. So I, I do treat it that way too, but sometimes I extend it. But I think it's more the quality of, you know, we're not getting the quality of off time. And even America, we just had Labor Day. And we fought bloody battles in Chicago for a weekend. And now it's just so blurry and mishmashy and work and email and texts and mm. expectations and even when you're posting, it becomes like work on the what you're going to post and the filter. I mean, everything's work. So it's like, I think we need boundaries back. That's what we're really talking about right. is boundaries are not so bad. Maybe they are around our country, but, that, but personal space. That was the whole point of, of Shabbat, which is a boundary at sundown. And then you do this thing for people who don't know called Havdalah at the end yeah, of Shabbat. I, I have, I'm working my way to <laughs> We don't wait for yeah. the stars. And, but, you know, yeah. Havdalah is is basically is is a statement of we're moving now from the sacred space back to the secular space and there's a like a line it's, it's it's good to have a line it's i mean i think about i think about that line because you know there's been so much talk about the wall in our country and what are what are boundaries so those those don't feel good in our country we're spatial it, boundaries spatial boundaries right but this Different is a time temporal yeah. right which heschel the jewish philosopher the palace in time i just i love yeah. i'm trying to visualize that in one of my movies for the book but I think about boundaries, too, with the Me Too movement. That was really about, actually, there are boundaries. Don't touch me if I haven't invited that. And that right. boundaries, there is room for boundaries. And I think technology removed so many, which is great. There's great ways that's true with right. transgender movement and the fluidity of things and all this stuff. But sometimes it's good to have boundaries like around your time. Around your sacred space, around yourself, around your body, yourself, so your thinking, self going on to these devices that people—it's almost like they lose their sense of dignity, their sense of, of almost ego coherence because you're in performance constantly. Ego coherence. I love that. Yeah, that's. I think that it's having, dignity. It's, it's basic dignity. dignity. Yeah, that's an interesting word to use because I think when you have that time to actually think a thought without it being interrupted by twenty other things or streams or tings or bings. Your thoughts are so much more expansive, too. Like, you can do this big picture thinking that I think we're losing. I think it's why we have our president. We're, he's kept us so distracted. And he knows it. I mean, he's right. not – I don't think – I don't want to give him too much credit, but he's a master of distraction. Yeah. And we're all so distracted right now from everything that it's hard to 
think a big thought and execute because right. we're doing or seven even million think things a big along. thought and not execute. But I mean, just mull over it. Part of the beauty and the reason why I want to start doing twenty four six for myself and my family is I'm concerned that we're thinking that the things that we do only have value if they have some kind of utilitarian application. Mm -hmm. What is this good for? Is this going to get me into college? Is right. it going to make us money? Is it going to, it's like, no, it's not going to do anything. It's not. And you know what? <laughs> it's so great. It actually. For its own sake. No, I mean, okay. I just started taking up the ukulele and I'm just doing it for the sheer pleasure of playing the ukulele. And a lot of things on Saturday are about that. I am just like, I nap a lot. I never nap during the week. We're hanging out. We're lying on the floor. Sometimes we're just lying on the floor and spacing out, and that's great. I mean, there's so much neuroscience on daydreaming. You right. have so much more creativity. You're not you're not doing and outputting, and seeing if people like it and all of this crap. You're just being, and I think we're losing. And I love what you said about this, like this this space around yourself that isn't isn't for anything but just existing and being comfortable and also being comfortable with that because I think we're so quick to be distracted by a stream or your phone or whatever and you it's important to know how to just be with yourself yeah and I also feel you know maybe this is just me but I also feel the need to justify my existence all the time what are you doing what are you worth what are you it's like you're not allowed to just be mm -hmm. and that's part of what you're what you're reinforcing or or reintroducing is that it's that Mr. Rogers idea you're okay just the way you are yeah. you're allowed to wake up in the morning and do nothing and do nothing and, and it has value. That's value in right. itself. And, and it's the one command of God that you're going to listen to in your whole life <laughs> is just to do nothing. Day of rest. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting commandment. It's high up on that list yeah. of commandments. Number four. Yeah. It's like above a lot of other things you've put. Above murder. Yeah. One day, do nothing. That's a pretty beautiful structure. I mean, and then, I mean, so you, do you guys not go in the car or anything? We're not that – I mean, we, it's mostly a day on Saturday we really try to hang close to home or we do go out like biking or – But you don't go to the mall. Something. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but and we're, it's really an – it's not – you know, sometimes we did it with two girls in soccer. People want to know, how do I do that? My kids are in soccer. Right. I'm like, we did it. This is what you do. On Friday afternoon, you print out a – you tell the team, you won't be able to reach my text. I'll just be there. And we need more of that. I know. And, you know, the, the schools – I remember when the schools in our neighborhood were – trying to do a tech fast and i think they were trying to make it like an hour long or something and kids couldn't handle that I freaked out you know what the uh, back to school night last a couple weeks ago for my daughter the teacher was like and these are the pouches that we have the teenagers check in their phones we used to you know think they could regulate themselves on the phone and then we realized it was like putting a big pile of cocaine in a table in the center of the room and saying don't touch it and i was like Oh my gosh, did he just really use that analogy? Yes, he did. And it's why the entire country of France has banned smartphones up until the age of 15 as a law in the country. California just introduced it as a law. And San Mateo High School, which is in the Bay Area, they just banned them. I mean, it's real. The teachers, I talked to this AP English teacher. She said, I used to get through six, six books easily in a semester. Now I can get through two to three max. It's so hard to keep everyone focused. Did you feel physical changes from... Well, this, the sleep part is huge for me because, you know, I that part, just being able to sleep deeply, which happens every week. So I, it's like I catch up on the weekend. I have these deep sleeps and then the rest of the week I have problems sleeping. So that's a big one. And, you know, I'll tell you, I laugh a lot more and I love to laugh. I can just see like I don't laugh. 
on the tech Shabbat, usually a Shabbat dinner, I mean, I've had a glass of wine, whatever. I laugh in that kind of way where I can't stop. And things, I find things funnier because I have the focus to find it funny. I think we're so pulled, like something might be funny, but then you're like, oh, I got, okay, I got a text, I got a little bit. You can't get into the funny. So right. we're always laughing a lot more. And I know this sounds schmaltzy, but I just appreciate things much more because I, I, I journal a lot on Saturday. I'm just sitting there a lot more. So I'll notice that hummingbird that's like so beautifully falling on the flower. I mean, I just am present for life more. So I think I feel, and that's one of the things we're doing for Character Day, which is this day my film yeah, studio does. Yeah, explain the whole character day well, thing. So basically, when I first learned about positive psychology, which is the work of uh, Marty Seligman and Eric Peterson, which is, it kind of flipped the whole concept of psychology, which is the whole Freudian, and for 70 years it was, what's wrong with you and let me fix you? Let me diagnose you and try to fix you. And then the positive psychology movement came along and said, actually, let's look throughout history and cultures and see what there's common values in all societies and cultures throughout history. So they came up with 24 character strengths that everyone values, gratitude, humility, social intelligence, and they kind of created a chart, which made it really interesting. These are all the elements that make you you, humor, curiosity, creativity. And I was so fascinated with that. I thought, gosh, and my mom's a psychologist, and my father wrote a lot about the brain. If we could just organize this in a movie and in resources, and everyone had access to this idea, that would be so exciting. So we made a film called The Science of Character, and we did a global event called Character Day, where people at schools and homes and companies watch the movie, and they have a, a global live cast where I invite the greatest thinkers I know, like you're coming on this year, to kind of bring it all together, like a film Q&A, but global, and right. we're linking them all together. So this year, the question we're asking is, what's the relationship to screen use? in your character. When does using screens enhance who you are, your human sensibility, your creativity, your empathy, your perspective, your gratitude, and when does it diminish it? And we're inviting everyone to try to unplug with us for four weeks and we'll hold their hand through it. So everyone this it's Friday, but if anyone's listening to this and you missed that, it's okay. We're going to keep all the resources up. So it's basically four weeks of mini challenges leading up to character day, like wake up, don't look at your phone for 30 minutes or 15 minutes, just try it. And three weeks of mini challenges, and then the big kahuna is four weeks of doing tech Shabbat. It's so funny that that's such a big kahuna now. It's like because for, people are scared of it. I it know. blows me away. But if you say to someone, what do you wish you had more time to do? Everyone's going to want to do it. But people have a lot of fear out of getting about being by themselves, I think. But I think we need to remind people that that's a really important part of being human is being present with the people you love, being with yourself. Spending some time where you're not in reaction mode and you're in reflection mode is really, I think it's why we're we're living in a very crazy time. Right. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to get even out of reactive into responsive mode even is a, is a start. But I feel like it's almost as if people have the same fear of, of taking that time as they do of, say, meditation or an ayahuasca yeah. trip. In other words, that yeah. they've been repressing or denying so much so much for so long that they're just going to cry or they're going to feel yeah i mean that's a numbing device right there i mean that fun i mean there's, there's so many good things i mean i don't obviously we love technology we love so much what it can do but i i just think the pendulum has swung so far and people are just hours i walk down the street everyone's staring down and well, they're not doing anything. They're just responding to behavioral finance cues or something. You know, it's a they're they're in their little, you know, as as Tristan Harris would say, they're just in their little brainstem mode and not and not doing. That's why it's interesting to me. I feel like you're you're sort of represent one very organic human response to what they're all doing to us. And the the humane tech people are kind of taking more the perspective of well rather than let rather than enhancing our human 
uh, sort of uh, immune response to technology. Let's just change the tech to be kinder. And I don't. It feels to me like that's a dead end on a certain level. I mean, that's why I think going back to this very old practice and rethinking about it in a new way, we can get our humanity back. And I feel like what this tech Shabbat has done is it's gotten me closer to my humanity and it ripples the other six days and it's gotten my priorities clearer and take a day off that network and see how you feel, see what you think about things, detach, and you're going to have a better perspective on the way we're living and what might need to change and on your own humanity. Right. And then you start also seeing, it's like, well, if what I want to do on this day is I want to walk in nature. And then I look out and it's like, well, wait a minute, where did nature go? And you've got a new agenda now. Yeah, you have to care. You have to see what you're, yeah, exactly. To spend ni- time in nature, you're going to fight for it more. Because, you know, I read the stat that's really disturbing. is that our kids are 50% li- less likely to be in nature than we were. I get it, though. I mean, to get, I mean, it's tech shabbat's the day that we get our kids in nature. But other than that, it's just too easy to just be like. And it is funny, though, that you and me, who were (laughs) the original tech kids. Oh, my gosh. Look at us now. Look at us now. And people think that we're Luddites or something now that we're the anti-tech people. How did you you change? It's like, I didn't change. The tech changed, if anything. Yeah. And I think it's more, I think it's more, how do we take it to the next level in a better way? Because right now, like, I always try to do this experiment. Like, let's go 10 years into the future on this path where we're going the way we're going, where no one even looks up anymore. Everyone's distracted all the time. What does that look like? Or you bring a practice back that brings some balance back. What does that world look like? Just look at those two futures Mm -hmm. and you're going to know what you need to do. If you just take a moment, anyone I talk to about the book, it's like speaking right to their brain and their heart. Everyone knows it. I mean, five years ago, people were still like, oh, my kids are addicted. Everyone knows they're addicted. I mean, I was doing this other weekly practice that based on the what the neurochemistry that different neurotransmitters dominate your body in different weeks yeah. so it's like the the first week of a new moon you're yeah. dominated by acetylcholine so it's good for meeting people and starting oh. projects second week is serotonin great for working really hard third week is dopamine sort of good for partying and chilling so were you out. tracking your yeah and then the last week is a uh, 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 what is it norepinephrine which is like for big systems thinking and and very so were you logic. tracking like yes. that's the week and I'm going to focus on that? And did you really feel the difference? Oh, today? my God, did I feel the difference? It's huge. And, and not to say it was for my productivity, my writing productivity went up, you know, like 60 percent or something by only really writing on that one week of, of productivity. But I feel like what you're doing opens you to that anyway. So your Shabbat ends when you return. I feel so creative. And you feel you're, you're going to feel whatever you should be kind of doing that week is going to yeah. emerge naturally rather than. Yeah, but I feel like I get that every week. I just feel like I get such a burst of inspiration yeah. every week and a completely reset. I feel like it's like this deep vacation embedded in one day. Yeah. And it's also that the technologies themselves are decalibrating, decalibrating to your nervous system, having the constant distance of the screen, the way that they flash, all that. And you you can recalibrate. I've been talking with with a scientist, uh, William Sofke, about this. Apparently, if you spend 10 seconds looking in someone's eyes, it recalibrates your whole nervous system. I agree with that. seconds. I have a whole chapter on empathy, yeah. and um, I talk about the history of eye contact. Well, you know, even having a baby. And yeah. I interviewed this one woman who runs a mommy and me class that I took. Actually, she ran something called La Mazel Tough, which isn't the funniest thing in the world. Um, but I, she came up to me about a year ago, and she said, I feel like it's an epidemic, Tiffany. 
these parents come in for a mommy and me class. That's a one hour class and they can't stop looking at their phone. And she says, I go to them. You're signing up for one hour for a week to be with your child and bond. And you're looking at your phone the whole time. And she was horrified. Right. She's, and yeah, I mean. You can even just, what do you think you're modeling for the child? Of course, it's all modeling behavior. But even looking in someone's eyes, I, actually, it's interesting doing, I'm sure you feel this way, doing a podcast interview. It's such a beautiful conversation because mm. there's nothing else we're doing right now except we're looking at each other and we're talking and we're sharing ideas. Mm -hmm. It's like such a gift to do these kind of conversations because we get to do all those things that we're not doing anymore. Yeah. That's why I started the whole thing. Was it to have I deep? I'm lonely. Oh. <laughs> Seriously. Find Mr. the others. Yeah. And even the others that I already know. I mean, Just let's the, have some time together. The yeah. original reason I started the podcast was because I wanted a chance to talk to Pesco for an hour. Oh, this my friend gosh. of ours, David Peskovitz. Oh, I love him. I do, too. But it's like so grounding. And yeah. Deep. So at least once a week, I get to oh. really touch somebody. So this is like my practice. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. Well, thank it. you for, for coming. And thank you for, you know, re-retrieving Shabbat. And uh, I'm going to actually... Uh, I'm going to start doing this again. I would love it if you did. I mean, I would love to talk to you after you did it for a little while, too, because I think I'd love to go deep in because there's I mean, I put everything I could in the book, but it keeps getting more profound the longer I've done it. And I'd love to go deep and wide on like all of this stuff. Yeah, I know. And then it'll be your next book will be all the responses. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, hold I, on I, can't, I can't wait for people <laughs> to actually start trying it. I'm like, this is going to make things so much better. I, I want to see all the memes. This is your brain on Shabbat, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, you're so good. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and, and thank you for 24-6. Thanks for joining Team Human. Our guest today was the author of 24-6, Tiffany Schlain. You can find out more about her work at letitripple.org. You can find out more about her and all of our guests at teamhuman.fm. This show was produced out of the Laboratory for Digital Humanism at Queens College by Josh Chapdelin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. Our community manager is Michael Bass, and I'm Douglas Rushkoff. You've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 